Isles Powerheads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as family. Thank you for truth that sets us free, Father. Thank you for loving us the way that you do, for showering us with grace, with mercy, even with patience, Father, as we continue to trudge on and be sanctified. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that are ill or hurting, that need comfort. We pray that you comfort them, but also at the same time, Father, remind them that we are with them in spirit and that we desire to have them back here with us in the fold. Of course, your timing is perfect, Father, so your will be done. We also pray for those in the world that are still lost, Father, without hope, that they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this a time to rejoice. We do just ask for your blessings on this message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, Proverbs 17, Wisdom, Part 13. I want to begin uh, with something that the Spirit's begun with the last couple of messages. Uh, and let me just synthesize. Up here on the board, a couple of scriptures. I'll give you the New Living Translation just for variety's sake and to amplify certain aspects of each verse. But 2 Corinthians 9.15 reads, Thank God for this gift. And we know who the gift is. It's Jesus Christ. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. And if we synthesize that with Luke 12.34, again in the New Living Translation, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And so Jesus Christ, the gift, is the treasure. And that's what the Spirit's been revealing to us. And wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So, in other words, if your treasure is Jesus Christ, which is who it should be, that's where your heart will be. And that's a great litmus test for all of us. Uh, even, in even as believers, because we can sort of backslide, we can kind of slide out of the what's called the operating envelope, for back, lack of a better term. Um, and our treasure, our, our eyes divert. And so our affections go where our eyes go. And what the Bible teaches us is that our hearts follow. So here's our conclusion up here on the board. From Thursday, the value of Jesus. Jesus, his person, is the treasure. Jesus, his person, not the historical facts about him, not what he can so-called deliver up as a gift to you, uh, albeit, albeit uh, heaven or eternal life or whatever that thing might be that you might look for in a perverted sense even. He's the treasure, and that's the point the Spirit's been making. 
When a person values him above all else, their heart is with him always. I don't usually do this, repeat whole passages, but we're going to do it this morning. Go to Ephesians 3, verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14. Uh, where do we put our Bibles, DJ? You want to get the young man? Or... Ephesians three fourteen. Again, Jesus, his person, is the treasure. And when a person values him above all else, their heart is with him always. Ephesians three fourteen. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. And then look at verse 17, Ephesians 3.17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And then look at verse 19. And to know the love of Christ. To know the love of Christ is to know Him. To know Him is to know His love. That's the point. They are co-equal in that sense. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Again, the point on the board is the value of Jesus. Jesus, his person, is the treasure. When a person values him above all else, their heart is with him always. Now let's look at the second passage now. Philippians 3, 7. Go there, right around the corner. Philippians 3, verse 7. Again, we're just reiterating something the Spirit has situated each message at the start of each message has situated us on uh, and for reasons that will become more, uh, more obvious uh, we're doing it again. Philippians 3.7 But whatever gain I had, this is Paul who was a Pharisee of Pharisees very highly regarded you know, trained up by Gamaliel, the, the great Pharisee himself, the great teacher of that uh, age. Whatever, I, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. That's perspective. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ... In other words, there's nothing that even comes close to Christ. Verse 9, And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, I have to throw out self-righteousness. He understood himself to be a self-righteous religious individual. And he threw all that out. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, being a religious do-gooder, in other words, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's that imputed righteousness that we're given at salvation. We are not to depend on self-righteousness. 
We depend on the righteousness that is given to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, welcome to this morning's message. God will reveal that also to you. So consider this morning a grace gift. Again, one more time up here on the board, the value of Jesus. Jesus, his person, is the treasure. We are not to look at the goodies basket. We are not to look at just all the goodness of being his bride, per se. We are not to pluck Holy Scripture out of context, out of order even. Remember, it's once saved, always saved. That was the, the, the initial pattern here. You know, a lot of people run right to the, the goodies bag and say, well, you know, in Christ Jesus, I have this, this, this. I have a free trip to heaven. I have eternal life. I have blessings. I have all. But you've got to understand that he's the treasure. In him, we have salvation. So again, Jesus, his person, is the treasure When a person values him above all else, their heart is with him always. This pattern of assigning value to the things we love the most is something that can, and this is what we talked about on Thursday evening, we can, if our eyes are diverted to evil things, be the cause of much pain. Again, this pattern of assigning value to the things we love the most is something that can, if our eyes are diverted to evil things, be the cause of much pain, according to Holy Scripture. That's not Ed Collins saying that. That's Holy Scripture. Here's a perfect example described in Holy Scripture. Go to 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. Perfect example of having our eyes diverted from the goodness of Christ, from the person of Christ, from the treasure, the gift of Christ. Perfect example, an example we Americans are very, very familiar with, all too familiar with. 1 Timothy 6, 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And I don't want you to miss something here. Pierced themselves. Note the personal responsibility. Who has pierced them? They pierced themselves. Do you understand? This is a self-inflicted issue. This 
chasing after the love of money or whatever the affection is, the thing that draws you away from the true treasure in Christ Jesus, whatever that thing is, it's self-inflicted. That's the point. Money is a perfect example, which is why it's recorded in Holy Scripture. They pierce themselves with many pangs. Up here on the board, I'll give you J.C. Ryle on 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. He says, money, in truth, is one of the most unsatisfying of possessions. It takes away some cares, no doubt. You have to concede that. But it brings with it quite as many cares as it takes away. There is the trouble of getting it. There is anxiety in the keeping of it. There are temptations in the use of it. Next slide. Continued. There is guilt in the abuse of it. There is sorrow in the losing of it. There is perplexity in the disposing of it. He says two-thirds of all the strifes, quarrels, and lawsuits in the world arise from one simple cause, money. Money. Money is arguably, wealth is arguably, especially in the United States, one of the great tests. And arguably, most people fail. Most people fail. And you have to think, when you fail consistently on this front, uh, you have to wonder where the money's coming from. Right? You have to wonder where the money is coming from. Did it come from God, like you want to say to your friends and family and people in church even maybe? Or did it come from the kingdom of darkness? As the Bible teaches us very clearly, you cannot serve God and wealth. So ask yourself, this is what the Spirit's been getting at, okay? It's been sort of, a, we're coming to a crescendo. There's been a momentum building up here in these messages. Ask yourself personally. Don't look to your left and don't say, oh yeah, I can see, you know, money's the root of all kinds of evil. Look at so-and-so. Look at so-and-so. No, I want you to look at yourself. The Spirit says, ask yourself personally, right now, why, oh why, after all of these direct messages between God the Holy Spirit and you, why, oh why, after all of these direct messages between God the Holy Spirit and you personally, have you rejected this truth? Why have you turned a deaf ear? Why have you persisted in putting the Word of God to the test? Here's two friendly reminders for you up here on the board. Isaiah 55, verse 11. 
So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So you fighting against the tide of God's own omnipotence. Remember, God's all-powerful. And he says in Holy Scripture, when my word goes out, it never fails. It will hit its target. And you know what? That target is you. And you, and you, and I can just point my finger to everybody in here individually. Don't, don't hide in the congregation because it's easier to do that. Don't hide out and say, oh, it's, you know, this is a, a smearing of wisdom across the congregation. No, 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 no. He's talking to you personally. And Holy Scripture says, my word goes out to you personally. It never comes back empty-handed. You will never be left the same. You can pretend, say, la, 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 right? But it never comes back empty-handed. And if you're humble, that's really good news. You may say, oh, no, there it comes. It stings. It hurts. But you know out of love, our Father in heaven disciplines his own. How about Galatians 6, 7 up here on the board? Very simply, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Do not be deceived. So what is, the, what, what is it that the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you personally? What is he trying to teach you personally? Up here on the board. Very simple. Be careful what you treasure. Be careful what you treasure. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Amen? There you go. Be careful what you treasure. For some of you, it's not even money. Some of you are like, ah, I, you know, I go la 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 because I don't, I don't have a problem with money. Well, maybe not directly anyways. But you deal maybe in a different form of currency. Although many times they are simply derivatives of money. Like beauty, for example the whole economy around beauty. On Thursday, I shared some pretty shocking market data with you. According to FIOR Markets, the global beauty and personal care product, I'm not talking about services, just what is sold, $750 billion in one year. That's close to a trillion dollars on beauty products. Apparently, beauty and money are tightly intertwined, one with the other. And apparently, according to the world scale of values, it takes money to augment the beauty that our Creator has bestowed on a person. Apparently. Apparently, the way, you know, God wonderfully made each one of us, it wasn't enough, it wasn't sufficient. We have to spend close to a trillion dollars a year on making better on God's good work. 
I'll make that suggestion to you again up here on the board, a blog that can be found in volume three of Diary of a Journeyman. What's the message we're sending? It's that story about that young lady that was convinced by her own disgusting mother that beauty mattered. And she ended up dead. What's the message we're sending? Seriously. As a balance statement, though, is God against beauty? Of course not. But it's just like he's not against money, fundamentally. He's not. He is against such a thing as beauty being made a form of currency in the world's economy. That's the difference. It sounds subtle, but it's massive. It's massive. And it's massive in this room because this is like the third, fourth time I've taught on it. He does not make mistakes. He doesn't teach that strongly on stuff that you all don't need to hear about. We taught even, he, he taught even longer on money. He's still going with it. Why? Because everyone in here, and again, make it personal, has a problem with money. Up here on the board, regarding beauty, though, just to drive that point home, eyes on self or Jesus. Do you want, honestly, do you want someone to be attracted to your beauty or the beauty of Christ in you? You want to prance around like a fool and get the eyes of uh, the weak on you? Do you want that affection towards you? Or do you want someone to actually like or appreciate the beauty of Christ in you? And which one does the Bible say? That's the point. Don't just take my advice. Like, what does the Bible have to say about it? What, really, what should you be focused on? Again, do you want someone to be attracted to your beauty or the beauty of Christ in you? Some of you just answered something like, I'm assuming. Heck, I'll take any kind of attention I can get at this point. <laughs> Which implies awfulness in another way altogether. But we'll save that for a rainy day. After listening to Thursday's message a second time, Monica texted me, Quote, really awesome point. We tend to look to the value of a thing versus the thing itself. We use things of value, Jesus Christ, beauty, love, etc. We monetize blessings. And that's why I'm repeating this, because I love that phrase. We monetize blessings. Again, I love that phrase because that's exactly what the Spirit's been teaching us up here on the board. And this is an old theme from years ago. And it just every so often, you know, percolates up to us, the top of our studies. And it just reminds us, hey, listen, it's not the blessing, it's what you think of it. What do you think of it? If God, in, you know, let's just say it isn't from the world, let's just say, theoretically, God says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop a million dollars on your front doorstep today. What do, you, what do you think of it? You immediately say, call your friend, hey, guess what? I'm a millionaire now. 
hey, guess what? You're on Facebook with your little avatar. Now your avatar has a gold medallion, right? I'm a, I'm a millionaire now. Everybody want it here? I mean, I'm so humble. I'm just so humbled by it. But just letting everyone know. I am now a millionaire. Or do you say, I have no idea why he would do that. One heck of a test I'm in for. Thinking about R.C. Ryle right now. I'm in for a big test right now. What can I do? What does he want me to do with this thing? Or am I going to fall in love with it? And then I'm going to spend all my time, oh man, I don't know what to do. I'm going to lose it. What do I do? Now I'm preoccupied with losing it. Right? Where do I invest it? How do I keep it? How do I keep my ridiculous relatives from finding out and hitting me up and then getting mad when I can't give it to them because I don't want to destroy their lives? It's, not the, it's what you think of it. It's what you think of it. That's the point. And is it only money and beauty? No. We just, in America, those are the, that's the great currency, at least two of them. The third one, maybe bigger than both, is sex, right, which is even more foul. But those are the big ones in, um, in America. But they're not the only ones, you see. They're not the only ones. We can monetize anything that begins as a grace gift from God. I want you to concentrate now. Like I said, this is building up. The last few messages have been building up to a crescendo. It's the end game that hurts the most here. If, in other words, if you play this out to its natural end, it's the end game that hurts the most. We might think we're getting away with something for a while, but we never do. Didn't we just see that in Galatians 6-7? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. We get away with nothing. Just get that through your thick skulls. You literally get away with nothing. Nada. Never. Nothing. You get away with nothing. What do you get away with? Thank you. Nothing. <laughs> uh, but here's the point of concentration. Listen. It's not that the physical hand of God is going to come down and smack you upside the head. Or you're going to hear his voice necessarily say, stop it. It's more like, if your life was a village, let's just say your life is a little village, right? It's like you setting fire to the beautiful homes around the village. You, it's your village, it's got your name on it, and you're taking a match to homes around the village. It's like you proactively and willingly destroying the village after your own name. Here's the spiritual analog up here on the board. It's self-destructive behavior to ignore God's good counsel. This isn't about you being a little do-gooder. 
Does the Bible speak about that? Of course. You call yourself a Christian. It's got Christ's name in your little description. You are an ambassador for him. You represent him. You've been enlisted into his army. You're a soldier for him. Of course you should represent him well. But that's not what the Spirit's getting at. The Spirit's getting at something deeper than that, more meaningful even for you personally. It's self-destructive behavior to ignore God's good counsel. That's the end game. So God warns you not to buy into the world's economy because that's the end game. The more you invest in the world's economy, the more misery you sow in your own life. You reap what you sow. In other words, invest in zero of its currency, whether it's the love of money or beauty or, I don't know, improving your reputation for the sake of self-esteem. That seems to be everybody's favorite. Oh, you got to build up. Oh, come on, kiddo. You got to build up your own self-esteem. Here's a little trophy. Get a little more money, you'll be a little bit happier. You'll be a little fuller of yourself. Get a little bit more beautiful. Ladies, do your hair. Men, you know, go to the gym. Get a, get a little bit more invested in yourself, right? There'll always be time for Jesus Christ later. But for now, build up your self-esteem. In other words, invest in the world's economy because they're the only ones who care about that crap. Jesus Christ does not. God does not. Matter of fact, he warns you against that vector. So don't get on that train. That train leads to a pit of misery. Here's where we got the, for lack of a better term, punchline from Thursday's message up here on the board. You cannot serve two masters. To invest in the world's economy is to disinvest in God's. Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Go to Matthew 6, 24. We'll get that quickly. Matthew 6, 24. Most of us are familiar with this by now. Again, the point is, though, you cannot serve two masters. To invest in the world's economy is to disinvest in God's. Matthew 6, 24. No one, this is not Ed Collins, this is Jesus Christ. No one can serve two masters. Do you see that? Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. <laughs> the general rule, though, is no one can serve two masters. That's the point on the board. So I want you to concentrate some more. Jesus himself teaches us that you can never, not sometimes, not maybe, you can never serve two masters simultaneously. It's not possible. Dipsukos in the Greek, remember? Double-minded, double-souled. 
Not possible. So just another, you know, get this through your thick head thing. Get this through your thick head. You cannot serve both. Up here on the board, I gave you an old mathematical construct called a Venn diagram just to help visually. Right? And the focus is that double-mindedness exists when a person thinks they can overlap the world economy with God's economy. And there's that little football shape, right? We call that the point of intersection. And some people try to live in that little football shape in double-mindedness. The truth is that the world economy and God's economy are mutually exclusive. I mean, the, 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 the most readily obvious one is, I'm thinking right now, because you're all here, we're all here, don't play church. Do you know what I mean by that? Don't play church. Don't just go to church when it's open and say, okay, I've done my duty in God's economy. Now I'm going to go back and live in the world's economy. That's the football. That's the person that's double-minded, double-souled. They're playing a game. And Jesus Christ himself said, that game is futility. Because you cannot play that game. You can only suppose you can. Does, you see the point? That, that, that thing on the left is, is like a hypothetical. I do it for illustration purposes only. Because the truth is that Satan's economy, the world's economy, is mutually exclusive from God's economy. That's the truth in the Holy Bible. Some of you, though, even so, after even this very direct teaching, some of you have rejected the Spirit's good counsel and continued to willfully live a double life. So take a good long look at the diagram on the board. On the left-hand side, you see the world economy, which is dominated by fear, anxiety, hatred, even. Hatred. On the right-hand side, you have God's economy, which is dominated by assurance, security, and love, etc., etc. So again, look closely. What can we say about the double-minded person? What will, let me rephrase it, what will they always have some of? <laughs> what will they always have some of, besides the good things in God's economy? They will always have some aspect of the fruit of abiding in the world's economy. And let's just draw this to its logical conclusion then. Since God is love, 1 John 4, 8, then that fruit, which is mutually exclusive of love, is hate. So what will they always have a part of in their life? Up here on the board, the double-minded man. 
The double-minded person who lives a double life will always have hate in their life, which is truly cancerous to peace and happiness. And by the way, this is guaranteed according to Jesus. This is not my doctrine. I didn't make this up. This is Jesus Christ said, you cannot serve two masters. You'll love the one and hate the other and despise the one and love the other. Did we not just read that? Yes, we just read that. You cannot serve both. That's called double-mindedness. If you attempt to do that thing, you will have some hate in your life. Do you want that for yourself? I don't. I don't. So here's why your prayers... And I know some of you pray about this. You say, I, yeah, I don't either. Honestly, I don't. But I, I, I'm not sure how to get from point A to point B. I need a little shepherding. Hello? That's my job. To shepherd you. To help you see when you're stuck in this rut. When you know that you have certain misery in your life. Certain hatred in your life. Self-loathing. Is that not the, the very definition of personal hatred? Self-loathing? That's because you're double-minded. That's why you're miserable. You just need a little help seeing it. So here's why your prayers for deliverance haven't worked out and you're still living in misery. Are you listening? First, you are praying for the wrong thing. You're praying for the wrong thing. You're probably praying for relief instead of deliverance. You're probably saying, Lord, can you please take this self-loathing from me? Can you please take away this pain that I have, that I've been living with? Can you please take that thing away from me? And he's like, I can't because I'm trying to deliver you. How about you take the burning hot coal off your arm? That thing in your life that Jesus said, cut it off. If your eye's bad, then chuck it out. If your foot is bad, cut it off. What? No, no, I can't do that. That would mean I'd have to change my life. I just, want the, I just want the relief. Give me the, give me the pill. You mean pray is not like a little pharmaceutical pill? You go, ooh, it's good. God's going to take... No. That's the whole point. What has he taught us over the years? God puts that pain there so that you will adjust eventually, hopefully, that you're not supposed to be... <laughs> and I'm talking to believers now. You're not supposed to be all hunky-dory with living a double life. You're not supposed to be. That's why you're self-loathing. You're not supposed to like that about yourself. That's the whole point. So first, you're not being delivered because you're praying for relief, not deliverance. You're praying for the wrong thing. In other words, up here on the board, the source of your misery 
Here's the game that people play, right? You want the fruit of righteousness, but you refuse to actually be righteous. <laughs> right? You want the fruit of righteousness, but you don't actually want to be righteous. The Bible says, do not be intoxicated with the world. Be sober, right? Right? You don't want any more hangovers? No extra charge. Stop getting drunk! No, no, I'd rather have the pill. I'd rather have the, you know, the aspirin or the, the wonder pill that I can pop when I'm hungover. That's what I want. I don't want to change my life. I want a pill. I want a quick fix. I want a remedy. So that's what we pray for. We pray for a little pill that we can pop. And we use God like a, like a pharmacist. Right? Isn't that like... We use God like a pharmacist? We check in on a Sunday morning? After a night of what? Partying? I have no intention of changing my lifestyle. I just want to find out a way that I can get a quick fix. That's the point on the board. God is not mocked. Do not be deceived. You want the fruit of righteousness, but you refuse to actually be righteous. You are exactly like the rich young ruler that wanted eternal life, but didn't want to give up his worldly lies, or his ties even. Second, you lack faith in God's abilities to beat the return on investment in the world's economy. Ah, see? Uh-huh. You lack faith in God's abilities to beat, quote-unquote, the return on investment in the world's economy. In other words, you say, if I spend a little time and energy in the world, I get so much back, right? I get a little, like, you know, approbation. I get some feedback from the world that I'm a swell guy. And I, and I need that, you know, I need that. Right? And you kind of feed off of that thing. And God's saying, why are you doing that? I'm, I have a way better return on investment on your time. Invest in me. Right? Invest in what I'm doing with you, with your own sanctification. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Of me, awe, respect of me. My ROI blows the doors off of the world. So there's a faith issue. First, you're praying for the wrong thing. Second, you lack faith. That's why you're still miserable. In other words... You like the idea of maintaining a diversified portfolio, if you know anything about like, you know, economics. Don't put all your eggs in that basket. You've got to spread it out a little bit, right? Well, if God ever, quote, unquote, decides to fail you, at least you've got some, you know, you get some investment still in the world, right? And if the world fails you, well, heck, that's what a lot of people do anyways. When, the world, when you get exhausted from the world, you go back to church. Right? You're like, well, I still got a relationship with God, I think, so I'll just go back. I'll just play church. See, that's what a diversified portfolio looks like. And God says, I'm a jealous God. If you're mine, I want you all to my, myself. Jesus Christ said, I will marry you. Stop being a hoe. 
Stop adulterating with the world. You're mine. You're my bride. I don't want you to adulterate with the world. You're mine. Enough with the diversified portfolio. You see? People like the idea of maintaining a diversified portfolio, you know, a little in each of the two economies. That's that football as well. So, to cure you of your own willful destructfulness, or destructiveness, I should say, the Spirit submits the following passage of wisdom to you. Go to James 1, verse 5. James 1, verse 5. All he's trying to do is cure you. You're sick, right? That's the heart, right? It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? God does, because God knows hearts, sees hearts. Tests hearts. God does. God, God can. James 1.5. He's just trying to cure you of your own willful self-destructiveness. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man. Dipsukos, right? Double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Up here on the board. Again, the double-minded man. The Bible clearly states that this person is unstable in all his ways. That's not peace. Young's literal reads, a two-souled man is unstable in all his ways. Because that's the Greek word, soukos, is sold, right? A two-souled man is unstable in all his ways. As Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, we just saw it, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So if you're playing this game, especially as a believer, well, which one is it? You wake up and which, what do you do? How do you live? Who's, who's got your uh, allegiance? Does the world have it, or does Jesus Christ have it? Where are your allegiances? You don't even know where to start. And that's why you get, you know, it's, it's whoever spoke to you last. You come to Bible class, and you're like, yeah, Jesus, I, I'm totally in. You go out, you go spend some time with your ungodly friends. Yeah, world! Because you don't have any allegiances. Your allegiance, you're fickle. And you, therefore, you're unstable. You realize, the more you learn the word of God, when you start cheering for the world, you realize that in that moment you're an enemy of God. And that's the source of your own self-loathing. Because you know as well, not as well as God, that you're, for lack of a better term, cheating on Jesus Christ, your husband. And who... Who the hell on earth can think well of themselves in that situation? Anybody want to raise a hand for that? Oh, I feel great. Yeah. Yep. I feel great. Jesus Christ, my husband. I'm just going to romp around with every other dude out there. Yay for me. Anybody want to raise a hand on that front? No, it's disgusting. You're grotesque. You're evil. Happy Sunday morning.
again. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And who, pray tell, do you think ensures this very fact? Is this... Is this speculation? I mean, when Jesus said that, did, you say, did he kind of say, like, you know, well, most of the time, or sort of, you know, be careful, because this could happen? No. It's a fact. It's literally clearly stated in Holy Scripture. It's a fact. And who ensures the veracity of that fact? God does. In other words, it's non-negotiable. And trust me on this one. 51 years old, been there, done that. There's nothing in you that's so slick that you can outsmart God. That you think you're going to get away with living a double life. You will get crushed. And you know what? When you're humble, you say, thank you. That's exactly what I needed. I needed a big old hangover to remind me how ungodly that thing was. I don't want a pill. I want to feel this thing. So, it's God that forbids anyone from enjoying a double life. That's the point. Which is why a true believer can never persist in the world's economy. It's because God won't allow it. God won't allow it. I just had this weird, this is awful. But I had a weird vision, right? It's, it's like Jesus Christ says, ah, here we go again. And he has to drive down to the pub and drag his woman out, who's drunk at the bar, sleezing up with dudes. He's going to go down there and drag her out of the bar. But that's what he will do because he loves you. For some of you, it's literally happening this morning. The back of your heels are all calloused. Uh, what's the point? Up here on the board, double-minded unrest. And this is a big favor from God. A true believer will be haunted by their own good conscience until they either change or God decides to remove them from earth by the sin unto death. And that's a reference to 1 John 5.16. Uh, for those of you who don't understand that phrase, the sin unto death, let me show you. Go to 1 John 5.11. 1 John 5.11. <clears throat> the key point is, though, that God's not going to allow it. He's going to haunt you or rip you out of here. Right? 1 John 5.11. But some of you maybe have never seen this reference to the sin unto death. But we'll start a little earlier for context. 1 John 5.11. 1 John 5.11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything, According to his will, he hears us. That's a reference to the first point I made. Why are you not being delivered? Because you ask with wrong motives, right? Sounds a little bit like James 1 and James 4 even. 
Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who will, or excuse me, to those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Up here on the board, just again, I wanted to, since it was in our previous principle, I wanted those of you who had never understood this principle of the sin unto death, this is what it is. Sin that leads to death. We do not know the limits of God's patience. But we know that some people reach them (laughs) and are physically removed from the earth. I don't know what that sin is, so don't ask me. Don't say, oh, it's homosexuality. Oh, it's, you know, whatever. I have no idea what that sin is. But the Bible tells us there is a sin for us, and it doesn't say that it can't be different even for each of us. I don't know. But there is a sin that leads to death. In other words, he will remove you from earth if it gets too bad. Now, there's some division among theologians regarding whether John was referring to unbelievers or believers, but suffice to say that God can and will remove a person from planet earth when his patience runs out. Verse 16 again. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall uh, ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Right? Obviously, we'd all be dead. <laughs> we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, and that's a habitual thing. Don't get legalistic. It means habitually. Okay? <clears throat> we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has, was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. To our previous point up here on the board, double-minded unrest. A true believer will be haunted by their own good conscience until they either change or God decides to remove them from the earth by the sin unto death. Now, let's think about this. This can and should strike fear in our hearts. It should. It's a healthy fear. But we should fear God that way. We should fear his power. So some of you might already be saying to yourself, you know, oh, dang, right? I need to clean up my act here. And you'd be wholly right in saying such a thing. Because God knows you've been living a double life for some time now. And he's been patiently waiting while the messages he gives through yours truly bounce off you like rubber balls. So you might go home today and pray to God. And maybe with this new knowledge of praying for deliverance rather than relief, rather than a pill, maybe you go home and ask for deliverance from your situation, which honestly is a great first step. But the Spirit wishes again to insert a reality check here and now. Go to James 4.3. James 4 verse 3. 
Just a little reality check to make sure that when you do get on your knees, that it's right. James 4, verse 3. 4, 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. In other words, with wrong motivation. That's why you don't receive it. Why? To spend it on your passions. You're like, hey, can I please, I mean... God, come on, you know. You know how it is, right? Come on. It's Saturday morning. I need that pill so I can party again tonight. Right? I need that hangover pill so I can party again tonight. So can you please give me relief? What's God saying? Are you serious right now with this? Jesus is like, I just dragged you out by your, on your heels from being drunk last night with the world, and now you're asking for a pill to make the pain go away, so what? You can go and do the same thing tonight? <laughs> uh, right? You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, the wrong motivation. God's not a pharmacist. Jesus Christ isn't a passive husband. He's going to fight for you because he loves you, even though you're a hoe. And he has to drag you out of, uh, ugh, filthy. It's gross. But this is what the Bible is teaching us. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There it is again. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. I want to explain that up here on the board. James 4, verse 9 explained... In other words, let your flippant laughter and joy be turned into mourning and gloom when you realize the source of it is sin. Practically speaking, do not say, I am blessed or I'm blessed when you're living in the world's economy. It's very, very um, dangerous ground you're on. Don't say you're blessed because you had a good time last night at the bar. And I'm speaking uh, figuratively, right? Don't say you had a good time frolicking with someone other than your husband. Don't say you had a good time sinning your off. And don't say you're blessed, because this is the one that always kills me. And I've, I know people in this congregation that say stuff like to me, and it makes me almost throw up. God let me do that thing. 
because he wanted me to have a good time. God let me do that thing. Are you, are you kidding me right now? God gave you, Jesus, your husband, gave you a free pass for the night because it's an open marriage? <laughs> that's, that's, that's what you're proposing is a blessing? God lets you, what, live in your little fantasy world and live a double life? And somehow he does that because he loves you? That doesn't sound like love at all. That sounds like perversion. That sounds like you trying to make up a different God, a different Jesus, a weak husband even. Ooh. God doesn't give you free passes so you can call it a blessing. God doesn't work like that. You say, oh, but me and God talk all the time. Jesus and I, are, you know, we're lockstep. We're on the same sheet of music right here. He knows that I'm a sinner, so he lets me do this stuff on the side, you see? He lets me do this little thing on the side. No, he doesn't. No, he's, no he doesn't. Well, who are you kidding? God told me to do this thing. But isn't it breaking the law? God told me to do it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. God told me to do that thing. He told, you to, he told you to dishonor his own name. He told you to dishonor a friend. He told you to uh, decimate a marriage. He told you to do that thing? Really? Yes, because he loves me and we're, we're lockstep. I know I'm not perfect. He knows I'm not perfect. But he allows me to do this stuff. He allows me to be this disgusting hoe. A filthy, wretched creature. And he has no problem with it? Yeah, I know, right? Such a blessing. Who the hell are you to suppose such a thing? So don't do that thing, okay? Don't say you're blessed when you're living a double life. Is that fair? Amen? All right, thank you. Let's move on because it gets creepy after a while. People are like, all right, dude. I know you're just a man, but I'm about ready to charge the pulpit. And that's just the ladies. <laughs> James 4.10. What's the remedy? Honestly, what's the remedy? Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. How about point number two? One, you're praying wrong, for the wrong stuff. How about point number two? How about you have a little trust in his way of doing things? in his economy? How about you invest in him? How about you humble yourselves, invest in his economy, wait on his good timing, <coughs> and he'll exalt you. That's not a lie either. You see? That's not a maybe. It, does it say maybe he will? Or what is it, what's the word say after he? He will, right? Mm -hmm. No less of a promise than the reaping and sowing thing, no less of a promise than anything we've noted this morning. It's just your lack of faith. It's your arrogance, which is antagonistic to humility, which is the first word in that statement. Humble yourselves, and he will exalt you. Again, to our previous point, I've got to pick a spot to close here. Awful lot of preaching going on this morning. Up here on the board, the double-minded man, 
The Bible clearly states that this person is unstable in all his ways. A two-souled man is unstable in all his ways. Remember this. Jesus, and this is a principle from months ago, Jesus despises hypocrites. A person who functions in that little football in the Venn diagram, the double-minded, is a hypocrite. And here's the craziest thing of all. You're a hypocrite in both economies. Right? I mean, you're even lower than the low guy. You're lower than the person who functions wholly in the world economy. Because you're a hypocrite. At least they have integrity to their own economy. You're a disgrace to both economies when you do that thing. So choose. Uh. Jesus despises hypocrites. So, I mean, literally in my notes, I say, then don't be one. (laughs) Then just don't be one. Don't be a hypocrite. It's pretty simple. Up here on the board, in case you didn't catch it. Don't be a hypocrite. I mean, it's that simple. You know, don't, don't come to church and play church and then go back to your life. And I'm talking about believers here. Don't, don't do that to Jesus, the person. Do you realize he's your husband? Do you remember that blog I wrote about when you're, when you're hoeing around and you're dragging him into the defiled bedroom because he lives inside of you? Remember that whole visual? Remember how disgusting that was? Remember how grotesque that was? Yeah, he lives inside of you. So wherever you go and whatever you do and whoever you let near you, he's with you. Oof. Don't do that to him. Like literally, literally think of it that way. Your husband is with you everywhere you go. How many married women are going to take their husband to the person they met on Tinder for a fling? Who's going to do that? That's exactly what you do. Because he's with you whether you like it or not. He's with you every step of the way. 24-7, 365. So maybe it really is a good thing. I'm talking to men and women, by the way. It really is a good thing to remember that Jesus Christ, your husband, is with you in every act, every behavior, everything you do. He is with you. And he's right there going, I'm sick right now at what's going on. That little lie you tell yourself, oh no, he and I were good. You know, he lets me have my one night off, right? That little thing, I would, no, that wasn't me. That wasn't this husband. That wasn't this man. That wasn't this person. Uh Uh-uh. I never agreed to that garbage. That's what you should remember. Go to Romans 12, 9, and I'll pick a spot. I promise. Actually, I'm almost done, so I might as well just finish, huh? No, I'm not. 
Yeah, Romans 12, 9. What's it say? Let love be genuine. Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Up here on the board, I'll give you the NASB. Just so we have word association. Romans 12, 9. Let love be without what? Hypocrisy. Is that too much to ask, honestly? Come on, is that really too much to ask in a marriage? Is that really too much to ask in a marriage that you're not a hypocrite? That you didn't take your vows seriously? Is that too much to ask? And I'm not condemning people who have failed. That's not the point here. You can't change yesterday. I'm talking about moving forward. Let love be without hypocrisy. If you say you love Jesus Christ, then love Him. End of story. And abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. One last point of reflection before I close. Again, this isn't just to represent Christ well in this world. That is an absolute component. Of course it is. We're called to represent Him. I mean, I don't know why he's being so graphic, but he is. If the lady hanging on the bar, hanging all over dudes that aren't her husband, who's drunk, turns to the guy on her left and then on her right and says, Oh, by the way, I'm a Christian. They're going to say, what? You mean like, like Christ? Like Christ? You're, you're one of them? And you're married? And you're drunk hanging out with, with us, the scoundrels? What message did you send in that moment? You call yourself a Christian. You say you love Jesus Christ on Sundays at least, maybe Thursdays, maybe when you're reading the blog. And then you're at the bar, figuratively speaking, intoxicated, hanging with other suitors, sleazeballs. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, I'm a Christian. I go to that church up on the hill, North Christian Church. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. Yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm, that, I'm that person. Huh? Doesn't Je isn't Jesus great? You should try him out too. He's the best husband because he's into the open marriages. You see, I'm here now. You, you know, he's great. That's what they're going to think. They're going to be like, what kind of, wait a minute, what? You mean Jesus doesn't care that you're here right now? Doing this thing, sinning your off? He doesn't care? I know, right? He just loves me so much. I can do whatever I want, and there's no repercussions whatsoever. I never reap what I sow. He was just... Lying his spirit when it, you know, when the spirit authored that thing. It was just, you know, it was good guidance. But for folks like me, you know, because I do a lot for the church, right? I got chits. You know what I'm saying? 
I got chits. They're all in this bucket. And, and, and I add to the chits because I go to church. And every time I go to church, I get a little chit, right? And every time I, I don't know, clean the toilets at church, I get a little chit. And I teach in a prep school, and I'm, I get a little chit. And then I pluck weeds outside, and I get a little chit. I get this whole big bucket of chits, right? And I get to spend them at the bar. Each chit is like a, a free pass. And if it's a whopper of a night, if I go and take a guy home, i got to give him five chits. But we're going to work this thing out, you see. Why is everybody squirming? Stay still. You're revealing yourself. I have all these chits, right? And, and, I, and I can just spend them, in God, and, and Jesus is good with that. What do, you, what do you think about what the, God the Holy Spirit has to say about what I just said? Is it real or is it bull? You can say it. Somebody say it. What? Matter of perspective, I think your heart's in the right place. I think you were saying what I was saying was real. But the scene was bull. Thank you. Thanks for really, it's the last time I hand you over for the, for the thunderous ending. Anyways, you get the point. Stop playing some game. Stop living some double life. You're just hurting yourself. Again, this isn't just to represent Christ well. That is part of it. But this is good counsel for your personal benefit. For your personal benefit. I'll go back to what I started with. First, pray the right way. Two, seek faith. Stop asking for stuff garbage stuff like I just described. Have a little faith in God's system. This is all for your benefit. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this morning. Thank you for truth that sets us free. We know that it's vivid, it's stark, sometimes it can sting, Father, but we're so grateful for your faithfulness to us and your patience with us. We just ask your blessings with all that we've learned here this morning as we take it back to the privacy of our souls, our homes, and then out to a world that's just decaying, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.